Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Emma Adjumung, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity International. When trying to choose a new investment, many investors scrutinise a range of data and ratios relating to that security. But one fund manager argues that there is another important thing to analyse, and not necessarily one that immediately springs to mind. Emma, you met this manager recently. Who is he, and what does he think investors also need to take into account? The manager in question is Jeremy Lang, who is the co-founder of Ardivora Asset Management, and he stresses the importance of psychology when thinking about investments. And his firm tries to apply research on cognitive psychology, for example, on the biases people develop and why people make reasoning errors, and they apply that to stock picking. Okay, now Jeremy pays particular attention to the behaviour of three types of market participants. Who are these and what does he monitor? They are company managers, financial analysts and investors. And what you try to do is to watch the behaviour of these people for signs of bias. So, for example, with company managers, they basically look for signs that management is becoming overconfident, um, which could lead to excessive risk taking. For analysts, they look for signs of belief in a too good a sounding story and blinkering. And for investors, they look for signs of excessive anxiety or over exuberance. And these are all signs that, um, you know, participants could be making errors when they are valuing stocks. Okay, so how does Jeremy do this? Does he does he go meet these people and watch them? Um, no, he doesn't. Actually, he thinks it's important not to meet with these types of people, um, particularly company managers, as he thinks doing so could end up, you know, causing them sway in his opinion. So he tries not to meet them. So how does he observe them then? Well, he says that he spends a lot of time reading what company managers say and analysing the words they use and the statements they make very carefully. And if he feels that they're actually picking out their words very carefully, a bit too carefully, he suspects that they're trying to hide something. And that makes him wary of investing in the company. Okay. Now, Jeremy also tries to keep his own biases in check. How does he do this? I mean, when I met him, he said that he thinks it's really important to be aware that um, all investors make mistakes and he definitely counts himself amongst that. So one thing he tends to do is to... Um, to be very clear about when he's made the mistake and to sell quickly out of it. And he says that this is because most investors find it difficult to admit when they've made a mistake and the tendency is to try and hang on to something. And so he tries to sell things as quickly as possible. Okay, I mean, that sounds quite disciplined, but are there any downsides to this? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an issue if you are going to be selling a lot is that um, a fund can have high turnover and that certainly increases transaction costs. And he admits that his funds do tend to have higher turnover than average. So, for example, with their global long-only equity fund, that has an annual turnover of 77%, um, which, is, which is high. Its UK income fund has a similar amount of 75% and its UK equity fund has an annual turnover of 57%. OK, that is high. Now, um, how else does Jeremy keep himself in check? Um, another thing he does is that um, he says that there's a difference between owning something, the psychology of owning something when you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to buy it and the difference of um, deciding when you want to sell something. So he often finds that if you buy something and then finds out actually it's not as good as he expected it to be, he will sell it and then he will short it. 
and shorten is basically when you bet on a company's share price falling. And so that's something that he does as well. And actually, from the funds that he runs, it seems that the shorten performance has actually improved um, performance in some instances. So, for example, with Ardevera's UK equity fund, which can short, has performed much better than the UK income fund, which can't short, even though it has you know, the same long positions. Micah, how important do you think things such as investor psychology are when investing? Well, I would say it's very important and you could even argue that it's more important than the key data because investments become overvalued, investments become cheaper and ultimately what drives that is psychology. So as investors, it's very important that we understand our biases, things like herding, confirmation bias, anchoring and that's really the field of behavioral finance. This is where economics meets human psychology and it's a very popular field because it's intuitive. So most of us recognize that we don't act rationally and that explains things like stock market bubbles. Now we could probably start talking about Bitcoin right now but <laughs> I'd avoid that. Yeah. But borrowing from those tools in, in psychology can actually help you understand how we respond to different situations and investors when they are confronted with a massive information they tend to revert to using rules or using shortcuts so I would say it's very useful to be cognizant of those biases. Okay. Um, what have you ever mean things investors should consider? Well, I think overwhelmingly you need to look, when you are investing in a fund, you need to look for a robust and a consistent investment process. Look whether the manager, the investor in question has some very clear buy and sell principles. And that is a very valuable defense against those behavioral biases, which we all suffer from. Okay. Now, Mr. Lang has um, a strict sell discipline. And it causes his funds to have a high portfolio turnover rate. Do you think this is a problem? And do you think you should assess, let's say, a fund's portfolio turnover rate when trying to decide whether to buy it? Well, it is something to look at. And and a savvy investor will look at the turnover rate. It's not necessarily a bad thing if a fund has a high turnover rate because you don't want your fund manager to stay in a poor performing company just to keep the turnover rate low. So dealing is not always a bad thing. Of course, it does incur costs. It does push up costs. But ultimately, investing is about running your winners and cutting your losers. Now, whether it's also about shorting those losers, that's another matter for conversation. Yeah, I mean, on that point, um, it's actually worked really well for Jeremy Lang if the numbers are of the funds are anything to go by. Um, so is it a good thing then to, to short sell? I'm not sure I would use the word good because I think the one thing we have to remember about the stock market is that stocks tend to move upwards and you don't need to look much further than the Barclays Equity Guild study to see that over the long term the stock market uh, appreciates in price and even if a company barely improves over the years uh, inflation will mean that the stock price will go up somewhat. So what you what are you doing when you're shorting? You're betting against the overall direction of the market. Well, what are the risks of doing it? Because, you know, betting is gambling. Gambling is risky. So, Well, the first thing to say is that it's not easy. And unfortunately, a lot of fund managers simply don't have the skills to make the right calls. It's very risky. 
I mean, do many fund managers do it? I would say not a lot. This is really hedge fund territory, and those are the areas that appeal more to the institutional investor, not retail investors. We do have something called absolute return funds who use uh, short selling techniques uh, to smooth volatility. But the key thing to always remember with absolute return funds, if you're investing in these funds, they are very different beasts, and you need to understand what you're buying and what the likely risks are. The problem with the with the name absolute return funds is that it gives this perception of security and that the fund will never lose money, which of course is very unlikely to be the case. Okay, some important things to bear in mind there. Now, Emma, two of the funds Jeremy Lang runs are focused on the UK. How concerned is he about what effects Brexit might have on the domestic market? Um, He's actually quite relaxed on the impact of Brexit on the UK market. And that's despite the fact that he thinks that as the UK is heading into recession. But he points out that the UK market is dominated by large multinational companies. And so they're not actually going to be very impacted by what's going on in the UK, you know, domestically. Right. Um, Micah, do you think Brexit will be a problem for UK equities? Well, I think the important thing to remember about Brexit is that it's a double-edged sword. Because the UK market, and I'm talking particularly about the FTSE 100, is an index of multinational companies who are global earners, who make their money in US dollars, who pay their dividends in US dollars, not all of the companies, but a lot of the companies. These companies benefit from a weaker sterling, and we of course know that the pound has been the Brexit barometer. So for the FTSE 100, when the pound weakens as it has done, especially now with the uncertainty over negotiations, that's good for the FTSE 100, generally speaking. But if we look at the more domestically orientated companies, so lower down the market cap scale, they're really going to feel the pain of this uncertainty over Brexit. And if you're an investor, you've got to find those investments that can run up the down escalator. I do also find it interesting that if you're a UK manager, you tend to be positive on the UK. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, On that note, actually, what do Fidelity managers think UK markets will do in 2018? Because obviously we're not going to leave the European Union till 2019. So um, I don't know, you know, it might not be so bad in the interim, maybe. I think think there are definitely opportunities and and we can talk about that a bit more, about how you can Brexit-proof your portfolio. And a lot of managers I speak to at Fidelity and both in the wider industry have found investment that are quite attractive within the UK that can sort of withstand the uncertainty of Brexit. I think a more interesting phenomena, not just for the UK, but markets more generally and a theme that's emerging at Fidelity is this idea of a sideways moving market. So we're all poised for the bull market to correct. It's been the second longest running bull market. It has wound higher very grudgingly. And everyone's waiting for that inevitable correction. But what if a correction doesn't happen? What if the market simply moves sideways, a bit like a crab, it trundles sideways? Mm -hmm. And this has happened in the past for extended periods. And that's uh, something that we think is quite likely. We could see this period of consolidation. And that period really lends itself to stock pickers. You do not want to be sitting in a passive fund if the market is moving sideways. You do want to be with an experienced investor who can find the winners. 
Okay, so that will be one way to try and get growth. And if this happens in 2018, what else could investors look to to try and get growth in 2018 if we have a sideways market? Absolutely. So growth, much like income, is um, in short supply. And I think, you know, if economic growth slows next year, conversely or counterintuitively, actually what happens is investors tend to buy growth companies because it's a proxy for growth in a world where growth is deteriorating. And I spoke to a manager just a week ago, James Thompson of the Rathbone Global Opportunities Fund. And he, it's a global fund, but he actually holds 60% of his fund in the US. Now, we know the US has had a fantastic run. A lot of people will say it's looking quite expensive. But if you're looking for companies that offer growth, innovative companies that grow quickly and sustainably, the US really is a market with a lot of rich pickings and technology companies in particular. So that's one area, the growth. It can come from the US, from, from the right tech shares, emerging markets, of course. And yeah, um, we're really positive on Asia, China, India can continue to grow. And of course, Europe remains a, a bright spot. You mentioned that the US was quite expensive. And you also mentioned emerging markets, which are obviously a risky area. So what would you say are the downsides to these areas of potential growth that you flagged? Well, I think if we, let's start with the emerging markets. Uh, emerging markets have had a fantastic run in the pa- past year. I, I saw a figure that said almost a trillion uh, dollars is expected to flow into emerging markets this year. Um, the region's done better than the US, in fact, the last time I checked. The big worry remains China. We we had a report out from the IMF today actually worrying about uh, the risk, the, the big debt problem in, in China. So that's always a concern. But I think the structural factors that support emerging markets, and we talk about uh, countries like China and India, India in particular uh, is benefiting from its reform agenda. It has a very young population, very entrepreneurial, the rising uh, consumer class. All of those things aren't going away. They're long-term factors. Yes, emerging markets are more volatile. Yes, you've got to be in it for the long term. But I think it, it can offer growth in a world where growth really is in short supply. Now, as well as growth, many investors need to hold assets to mitigate downside, something that could be very relevant in the coming years if you've got UK exposure. What types of assets and funds would be good options for doing this? I think, yeah, we just have to go back to that uh, age-old um, saying of, of eggs and baskets. Diversification is really important. And what happens when, when investors are desperate for income and desperate for growth, they chase these single strategy funds or, or investments. And that is actually something to avoid. Now, more than ever, you've got to look at your portfolio. You've got to look at how diversified you are. And there is a case to be made for holding a little bit in cash, you know, in the name of wealth preservation, but also if there is a correction in markets, to use that cash to keep some powder dry to take advantage of that correction. Traditionally, people have held bonds to mitigate downside. Do you think these are a good option at the moment? Yes, bonds. <laughs> so our mm-hmm. investment team actually had a very interesting conversation this morning about bonds. There is a big concern over high-yield bond spreads, a concern that they are pricing in a, t- a too optimistic view of company default. So I would say... There's no room for error if you're talking about the fixed income space. And it's really important to be picking the right type of bonds right now.
Mm, so, so what type of bond fund would be best then? Well, yeah, I would say look look at a strategic bond fund because, as we know, these are the bond funds that have the flexible mandate. So they can move across the universe of bonds, be it corporate bonds, government bonds, high yield, and they can choose the, the most suited allocation there. And if, if I can give some names, um, Ian Spreadbury, who's a, a veteran in the fixed income space, Richard Woolner, funds like the Jupiter Strategic Bond Fund, M&G, Optimal Income, are all good choices. Great. Well, thank you, Micah. Those are some really helpful suggestions. And also see this week's Portfolio Clinic in the money section for more suggestions on funds to mitigate downside. That's all we've got time for today, but you can read Emma's full interview of Jeremy Lang and some suggestions and good investment opportunities in the UK in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 